Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. Hey, folks. Happy October. This obviously isn't the Zach Bain episode I said it was going to be. And I have a confession to make. You see, when I say things, I do it with the best intentions. And while we're still getting the next part, next two parts of the Zach Bain saga this month, obviously, it's not coming this week. And I also have some bad news about Dracula, which was supposed to air tomorrow. That's not going to be coming out either. Eventually it will, just not this month. I'm sorry. Just currently, I wouldn't be able to do it justice, and I don't want to give a half-assed performance or editing and things like that. I want to put out the best product possible, and I just wouldn't be able to do it in the time frame. You know, with the whole having a newborn and all. Kids really putting a damper on my style. I really got to stop promising things. But that doesn't mean I don't have some fun things planned for this month. I'm going to be putting out more than my normal amount of episodes this month with some original horror stories, the Zack Bain saga, and some retellings of some classics. Much like how I wanted to do Dracula, and I'm not going to currently. I'm so upset about it. Uh, after I told The Raven, people really liked it, and I want to explore some other... Edgar Allan Poe stories, so that's what's bringing me today's story. I'm going to combine it with some folklore about the black cats and their origins and things like that, followed by the telling of Edgar Allan Poe's classic, The Black Cat. I hope you guys enjoy. Again, I apologize up and down a thousand times. I can't apologize enough, so I'm sorry a thousand times, and, you know, thank everybody. I thank every one of you for sticking with me. Being so cool about it. And, uh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's get on with it, shall we? Every year when people begin putting out their Halloween decorations in October, or September if you're like me, 
and we start dressing our homes up for Halloween, inevitably the image of a black cat comes up. It's usually portrayed with its back arched, its claws out, and occasionally wearing a pointy witch's hat. You'll even get news reports from local stations telling you that if you have a black cat, keep it in the house on Halloween, just in case some people decide to do some nasty pranks to it. But where did the fear of these animals come from? Anyone who lives with a cat knows that they're not dangerous. They may be assholes, but they're certainly not monsters. Well, not all of them. S.E. Slosher at American Folklore, and I apologize if I brutalize that name, they say that black cats weren't always considered bad luck. In early Egyptian times, dating back as far as 3000 BC, the domesticated cat became a symbol of grace and poise and was praised for its abilities to kill cobras and other vermin. The goddess Moftet, who was a deification of justice and execution, was a lion-headed goddess. The cat goddess Bast was the deity representing protection, fertility, and motherhood. Some cats were so honored that they received the same mummification after death as their humans. In 1888, an Egyptian farmer uncovered a large tomb filled with 80,000 cat mummies, dating back to sometime between 2000 and 1000 BC. In Egypt, killing a cat was considered a capital crime. It wasn't until the Middle Ages when the European church began accusing people of witchcraft that cats began to fall out of favor in folklore and tradition. Cats especially black ones, were accused of being witches' familiars. Over in Scotland, people once believed in a fairy called Catchy, who took on the appearance of a giant black cat. Catchy was believed to have the ability to steal a dead person's soul before the gods could claim it. For this reason, the Scottish folk sat night and day with a dead body prior to its burial, to protect it from the she. In the 1500s, there arose the belief that witches could shapeshift themselves into the form of black cats so they could roam freely about the country, wreaking havoc and spying on people. There is an English folktale in which a father and son, traveling home late one night, saw a black cat cross their path. The son threw a stone at the creature, fearing it was a witch's familiar, and the stone hit the cat in the left leg. The animal gave forth an unholy shriek, and fled under the stoop of a house belonging to a woman long suspected to being a witch. The next morning, the father and son met the old woman at a local marketplace and saw that she was limping on her left leg. From that day forward, the people in that town were sure that that woman was an evil witch that prowled their town at night in the shape of a black cat, looking to do mischief against anyone who crossed her. The belief that witches could turn themselves into black cats crossed the Atlantic with the first American settlers and was a firmly held superstition in New England by the time of the Salem witch hunts. Black cat stories also haunted the southern United States. Many spooky southern folktales like the Black Cat's Message or Wait Until Emmett Comes feature supernatural black cats who are thought to be witches or demons of disguise. Pirates believed that a black cat moving toward them meant bad luck. And if a black cat walked onto a pirate ship and then walked off again, that ship would sink in its next voyage. It's not all doom and gloom, though. And not all cultures believe that black cats are bad luck. In Japan, this superstition is flipped on its head. They believe that a black cat is good luck, and if owned by a single woman, is supposed to bring her many suitors. In the English Midlands, a black cat given as a wedding present is thought to bring good luck to the bride. In Scotland, people now believe that a black cat's arrival to a home signifies prosperity. In Germany, 
The direction a cat takes when crossing your path determines if it represents good or bad luck. If the black cat crosses from right to left, it means bad, while left to right signals good things ahead. Fishermen in some cultures believe that it's good luck to have a black cat on board your ship, and it's double lucky if you also have a black cat living in your home. Whether you're a cat person, dog person, hell, whether you're a fish person, I think we can all agree on one thing. Black cats are pretty damn sweet. Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Folks, it's my absolute privilege to bring to you Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat. For the most wild yet most homely narrative which I am about to pen, I neither expect nor solicit belief. Mad indeed would I be to expect it, in a case where my very senses reject their own evidence. Yet, mad I am not, and very surely do I not dream. But tomorrow, I die, and today, I would unbosom my soul. From infancy, my tenderness of heart was even so conspicuous as to make me the jest of my companions. I was especially fond of animals, and was indulged with a great variety of pets. In manhood, I derived from it one of my principal sources of pleasure. My wife, observing my partiality for domestic pets, lost no opportunity of procuring those of the most agreeable kind. We had birds, goldfish, a fine dog, rabbits, a small monkey, and a cat a remarkably large and beautiful animal, entirely black and sagacious to an astonishing degree. Pluto, this was the cat's name, was my favorite playmate. He attended me wherever I went about the house. Our friendship lasted for several years, during which my character, through the instrumentality of the fiend intemperance, experienced a radical alteration. I grew moody, irritable, 
regardless of the feelings of others. I used intemperate language to my wife. I even offered her personal violence. My pets, of course, were made to feel the change in my disposition. I not only neglected, but ill-used them. For Pluto, I retained sufficient regard to restrain me from maltreating him. But at length, even Pluto began to experience the effects of my ill temper. One night, returning home much intoxicated, I fancied that the cat had avoided my presence. The fury of a demon instantly possessed me. I took from my waistcoat pocket a penknife, grasped the poor beast by the throat, and deliberately cut one of its eyes out from the socket. When I had slept off the night's debauch, I experienced remorse for the crime. But it was a feeble, a critical feeling. The cat slowly recovered. The socket of the lost eye presented a frightful appearance. But he's no longer appeared to be suffering any pain. He went about the house as usual, but fled in at my approach. I was at first grieved by this evident dislike on the part of a creature which had once loved me. But this feeling soon gave place to irritation. And then came, as if to my final overthrow, the spirit of perverseness Longing to do wrong for wrong's sake only urged me to consummate the injury I had inflicted upon the unoffending brute. I slipped a noose about its neck and hung it to the limb of a tree, hung it with tears streaming from my eyes and the bitterest remorse at my heart. That night, I was aroused from sleep by the cry, Fire! Fire! The whole house was blazing. It was with great difficulty my wife and myself made our escape. The destruction was complete. On the day succeeding the fire, I visited the ruins. The walls, with one exception, had fallen in. This exception was a compartment wall against which I had rested the head of my bed. About this wall, a dense crowd were collected, examining a particular portion with minute and eager attention. I approached and saw as if graven in bas-relief upon the white surface. The figure of a gigantic cat. There was a rope about the animal's neck. The cat had been hung in a garden adjacent to the house. Upon the alarm of fire, this garden had been filled by the crowd, by one of whom the animal must have been cut from the tree and thrown through an open window into my chamber, probably with the view of arousing me from sleep. The falling of the other walls had compressed the victim of my cruelty into the substance of the freshly spread plaster, the lime of which, with the flames, the ammonia from the carcass, had then accomplished the portraiture as I saw it. Although I thus accounted for the startling fact, for months I could not rid myself of the phantasm of the cat. I went so far as to regret the loss of the animal, and to look for another. One night, as I sat in a den of more than infamy, my attention was drawn to some object, reposing upon one of the immense hogheads of gin or rum. It was a black cat, black cat. a gigantic cat. This cat had a large, indefinite splotch of white covering the breast. When I prepared to go home, the animal evinced a disposition to 
accompany me. When it reached the house, it domesticated itself at once. I soon found dislike arising within me. Its evident fondness for myself disgusted and annoyed. By degrees, these feelings rose into the bitterness of hatred. I avoided the creature. Gradually, I came to look upon it with loathing. What added to my hatred of the beast was the discovery, on the morning after I brought it home, that, like Pluto, it also had been deprived of one of its eyes. Its partiality to myself, however, seemed to increase. Whenever I sat, it would crouch beneath my chair, or spring upon my knees, covering me with caresses. If I arose to walk, it would get between my feet and yet throw me down. My wife had called my attention more than once to the white hair, which constituted the sole visible difference between the strange beast and the one I had destroyed. The mark had been indefinite, but by slow degrees, it had assumed a distinct outline. It was now the representation of an object that I shuddered to name, of a hideous, of a ghastly thing. The gallows. I was wretched. Neither by day nor by night knew I the blessing rest. During the former, the creature had left me no moment alone. And in the latter, I started from dreams of unutterable fear to find the hot breath of this thing upon my face. My uncomplaining wife was the most usual and most patient of sufferers. One day, she accompanied me upon some household errand into the cellar of the old building which our poverty compelled us to inhabit. The cat followed me downstairs, and, nearly throwing me headlong, exasperated me into madness. Uplifting an axe, I aimed a blow at the animal which would have proved fatal, but this blow was arrested by the hand of my wife. Goaded into a rage more than demoniacal, I withdrew my arm from her grasp and buried the axe in her brain. She fell dead upon the spot. I set myself forthwith the task of concealing the body. I could not remove it from the house, without the risk of being observed by the neighbors. I thought about cutting the corpse into fragments and destroying them by fire. I deliberated about casting it into the well. Finally, I determined to wall it up in the cellar. The cellar walls had lately been plastered throughout with a rough plaster. Moreover, in one of the walls was a projection caused by a fireplace that had been filled up and made to resemble the rest of the cellar. I could readily displace bricks, insert the corpse, and wall the hole up so that no eye could detect anything suspicious. By means of a crowbar, I easily dislodged the bricks, having carefully deposited the body against the inner wall. I propped it in that position, while with little trouble, I relayed the whole structure as it originally stood. When I had finished, the wall did not present the slightest appearance of having been disturbed. My next step was to look for the beast. I resolved to put it to death, but it appeared that the crafty animal, alarmed at the violence of my previous anger, had fled the premises. My happiness was supreme. The guilt of my dark deed disturbed me but little. Some inquiries had been made, but these had been readily answered. Upon the fourth day of the assassination, 
a party of police came into the house and proceeded to make a rigorous investigation of the premises. Secure in the inscrutability of my place of concealment, I felt no embarrassment. The officers bade me accompany them. They left no nook or corner unexplored. At length, they descended into the cellar. My heart beats as calmly as that of one who slumbers in innocence. The police, satisfied, prepared to depart. I burned to say but one word, by way of triumph, and to render doubly sure their assurance of my guiltlessness. By the by, gentlemen, I said as the party ascended the steps, this is a very well-constructed house. In the rabid desire to say something easily, I scarcely knew what I uttered at all. These walls are solidly put together. Here, through mere bravado, I tapped heavily with a cane upon that very portion of brickwork behind which stood the corpse of the wife of my bosom. No sooner had the reverberation of my blows sunk into silence than I was answered by a voice from within the tomb. A cry, at first muffled and broken, like the sobbing of a child, and then quickly swelling into one long, loud and continuous scream, a wailing shriek, half of horror and half of triumph, such as might have arisen only out of hell. Swooning, I staggered to the opposite wall. For one instant, the party upon the stairs remained motionless. In the next, a dozen stout arms were toiling at the wall. The corpse, greatly decayed and clotted with gore, stood before the spectators. Upon its head, with red extended mouth and solitary eye of fire, sat the hideous beast whose informing voice had consigned me to the hangman. I had walled the monster up within the tomb. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. I'd like to thank my newest patrons, Aaron, Deanna, and Alyssa. Thank you guys so much for your support. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to Patreon. Ad-free episodes, early releases, Discord access, all kinds of fun stuff going on over there. Later, folks.